Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, family. I'm Sophie, and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. True SAF heads know that I love my YA, and I love my fat writer friends. And this week is a special week for both those things. That's because friend of the pod, Julie Murphy, put out her final book in the Dumplin' verse. It's called Pumpkin, and I highly recommend in case you missed it, this past weekend, I joined Julie for a little goodbye Dumplinverse party through BookCon, aka Metaverse, this year. It was very sweet, and I'm linking it in the show notes if you want to say goodbye with us. That brings us to today's episode all about Dumplin'. I did this interview with Julie back in March 2019, and it was so much fun to talk movieverse book with the person who wrote the story. There's a lot of good stuff in the episode, and that's why we wanted to put it back in your feeds this week to celebrate, yes, I'll say it again, the Dumplin' verse. Just one piece of news before the ep, you still have time to enter our Belly of the Beast giveaway. We pre-ordered four copies of Deshaun Harrison's upcoming book to give to four lucky SAF patrons. If you're a patron, fill out the Google form in the show notes to enter, and if you're not a patron, you can join anytime this month and get your name entered twice. We'll announce the winners in July. May the odds be ever in your fat-ver, fate-fate-ver, fat-favor. All right, we hope you enjoy this blast from the past. We'll be back next week with a new episode. We wouldn't be seen dead here in the day. I guess you're lucky that it's dark now. Y'all know I love my YA novels. I love my Tamara Pierce novels and my Madeline Langle books like A Wrinkle in Time, where I got the inspiration for my tattoo, or A Ring of Endless Light, uh, the Disney Channel original movie of which I will not acknowledge. I read a lot of weird YA books when I was younger. One of my favorites was this one called Mara, Daughter of the Nile, where a servant girl in ancient Egypt falls in love with a nobleman plotting to overthrow Hatshepsut. There were books like So You Want to Be a Wizard by Diane Duane, about two preteens learning about the consequences of magic, and Sabriel by Garth Nix, about a mysterious land in northern England where the dead walk free and have to be bound by the sound of necromancers' bells or Uglies by Scott Westerfield, which was not really very good, and a bunch of books that were not YA, like Jane Eyre, and some of the Diary of a Princess books, and 
all of the Dear America books that were structured like the diary of a young girl at some point in historical America. There is this one about the Oregon Trail called Across the Wide and Lonesome Prairie, where bad things just happen over and over and over again. The Oregon Trail Diary of Hattie Campbell, Booneville, Missouri, 1847. nights ago, my poor Uncle Milton fell off our roof while he was helping Pa fix the leak. He died right there in the barnyard. There was nothing we could do. Still raining, our roof is leaking upstairs over the hallway and in my room by the foot of the bed. I've moved the pot there to catch the drips. Last summer, the most horrible summer of our lives, my sisters died one right after another from swamp fever. They're buried right next to my grandparents under the big walnut tree out back. Mama, I called. I'm here, Hattie. Have the little twins been found? I whispered. Ma stepped out of the doorway. Dark circles were under her eyes, and her braid was over her shoulder, not combed out since yesterday. No, dear, they ain't been found. I don't like the way these boys yell and wave their rifles around. One of them accidentally shot a nine-year-old in the neck. He died quick. Right where he fell, I was climbed up to the top of a cliff for a view. It was spectacular. Tall Joe told us that a few years ago, a young bride fell to her death doing what we'd just done. Pa's face fell. He sniffed the greens, then placed a tiny bit of the root on the tip of his tongue. In an instant, he spit it out. God help us, he said. This is hemlock. Three graves are being dug by the side the of the boy playing with his father's gun accidentally shot our front ox in the head. It dropped dead so quick the ones behind stumbled onto it, and what a tangle of hooves and brother harness. Ben fell off the wagon seat just before noon as we were pulling it to It is a tiresome to feel dirty all the time. knows what happened, but somehow he fell and was trampled by the mules are terrible, and now there's also biting flies. There was another wedding last evening. The bride is 14, and her new husband... Depressing! I used to read and read and read, and I read all sorts of things, kid books and adult books and fanfic, backs of cereal boxes and backs of shampoo bottles, whatever I could get my hands on. I don't know why exactly, but getting older meant that those adult fiction books, the ones about death or loss or grown-up love, started being slower to get through, probably because they started to feel like they could actually happen to me. They moved from being in the same category as fantasy, made up, to possibility and possible tragedy, which is only one of the reasons I don't read Joyce Carol Oates novels anymore. When I was younger, YA felt as intense as the feelings and experiences I was having. I felt seen and valid as a full person in all my strident desires, even if I never saw a character who looked exactly like me. I didn't have magical powers or live in ancient Egypt either, so whatever. Now, YA fills a different purpose in my life. YA novels remind me of who I was, of the things I thought about before I had to devote half my brain to grocery shopping and remembering to make sure my dentist office is covered by my new insurance. 
They bring me back to a sense of possibility of the magic of narrative and the brashness of everything feeling new and interesting and big. I'm so excited for the new generation of YA readers who will get to experience YA novels that will make them feel seen in a way I never did, who will experience the magic of reading with no ifs, ands, or buts to stop them from falling headfirst in a fictional world. One of the books that will do this is Dumplin', a book written by my friend Julie Murphy that was recently turned into a feature film on Netflix. We're out here, fat teens. We're doing it, and we're represented in fiction. You want some quotes from Dumplin', the story of a fat teen named Willow Dean entering a beauty contest run by her skinny mom in order to prove a point and learning to love herself along the way, and also there's romance and friendship? Here you go. White teeth teens are I've wasted a lot of time in my life. I've thought too much about what people will say or what they're going to think. And sometimes it's over silly things like going to the grocery store or going to the post office. But there have been times when I really stopped myself from doing something special. All because I was scared that someone might look at me and decide I wasn't good enough. But you don't have to bother with that nonsense. I wasted all that time so you don't have to. I sat down and liberally spread salad dressing across my plate because on the eighth day, God created ranch dressing. Sounds great, right? So let's have a little chat with the wickedly talented, wickedly talented, Julie Murphy. White teeth teens are Julie Murphy, my friend, published author, <laughs> movie creator, mini book writer, Julie Murphy. <laughs> who are you? What are we doing? What's, how do you want everyone who probably already knows you to know you? Um, I'm Julie and I, uh, have to clean my cat's litter box just like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> We're just really glamorous writers, both of us, just talking about really glamorous things and the glamorous things in our writing lives. I have to do that today, too. Dang. Oh, man. I've discovered, this is not a podcast about kitty litter, but I've discovered, like, <laughs> the secret sauce kitty litter, like, the best of the best. Really? We'll talk later. <laughs> okay, good. I use the Mod Cat boxes. Do you use those? Oh, my gosh. You would use the Mod Cat box. Yeah. <laughs> My editor is actually obsessed with them and has been trying to push those on me for, like, years. But my cats won't jump into them. Oh, they won't go in? Okay. I have a cat who, like, won't go unless nobody can look at her. And so, (laughs) which, like, I relate to. I don't want someone staring at me. So the Mod Cat works well because she also, like, flings litter everywhere so that it, like, keeps the litter inside. But my home cat, like, my mom's cat, wouldn't jump in either. So I relate. Did you ever try to train them to go in the toilet? Because I tried that and it didn't work. No, but I don't have the patience for that. But I have always been incredibly impressed by anyone who does just because... I mean, I I am such a cat-like human being that I could never imagine someone trying to train me to go in a specific place. But it happened, but obviously. But someone did, yeah. Someone did. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. Uh, here this is we a are. perfect interview. <laughs> we know Julie wrote Dumplin'. What else is she up to? 
So my first book was Side Effects May Vary, and then after that came Dumplin', which is probably what most listeners know me for. Um, And then Ramona Blue put in was my next one after that. And then I've got Dear Sweet Pea coming out this fall, which is about a fat middle schooler. And somehow the cover of the book like morphed into a girl who looked more and more and more like me until it was just basically like a fat middle school Julie on the cover. Oh my God. (laughs) Amazing. I'm really excited about this because like I wanted for, I had like a swirling idea for a long time about like doing a fat character and an advice column thing. So I'm really excited you're doing it. Like it's going to be really good. Well, that just means that I, you need to write yours as like the response to mine. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> but like, those are just two of my favorite things. It's all I, I know. mean, you know, I know. I'm excited. Me too. It's gonna I'm be really good. excited. Yeah. And this year it was cool because your book Dumplin' got made into a movie that Netflix picked up. What was... What? Wah, wah, wah. Is that I what know. April would do if she were here? The, <laughs> yeah, I she, can't do it. <laughs> she would go... Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Speaking of April, April and I loved going to the premiere of Dumpling. It was so much fun. Yeah, we had so much fun. We were so honored to be invited to your premiere. It's the only... First and only premiere we've ever been to and it was amazing it was very a very LA experience we got to go to Grauman's and like the whole thing it was cool yeah it was I kept waiting for like them to be like for something to happen in the experience of the premiere for it to be like no this is going to be like the target of premieres like this isn't like a real premiere this is like the target Walmart Kmart version of a premiere like the plus size section at target version of a premiere (laughs) and it was just really it was just a wild experience I mean when I found out that it was going to be at Grauman's that's when I was like oh my gosh that's amazing and then I also immediately texted Sophie and was like do you know anyone who's fat and whose ass will fit in the seats in Grauman's and it all worked out fine but it was fine the seats were fine I was also worried I have like tried since then to call several theaters around because I want to go to I want to take my sister to cats at Pantages because we used to we she made us go to cats like 10 times when she was a little kid (laughs) in New York when we lived in Pennsylvania and I called and I asked about the seats. I was like, do you have any accommodations for larger size bodies? And they're like, do you mean wheelchairs? And I was like, no. I was like, "What? how wide are your seats? And they're like, I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. And oh I was my like, gosh. <laughs> okay. And so they gave me the number for the house manager. And they were like, here's his cell phone. I guess you can call him. Oh my gosh. I was like, what the hell? Stupid. But the Grommans was fine. Yeah, the armrests for anyone out there who's wondering or worried raise up. So that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. What was your experience of the night of like of the premiere? It was absolute chaos. So I first off, like I had flown in from New York the day before and just the day before that I was in Texas. So I went from like central time to east coast to west coast time and my brain was totally fried and I woke up at like 
I guess, like, 4 or 5 in the morning to find out that Dolly Parton had been nominated for a Golden Globe yes. for one of her songs, which was, like, wild. And so that was the first thing that I experienced that morning. And then I thought that, oh, this will be, like, a nice day to, like, relax and maybe, like, even, like, check out the spa at the hotel or something like that. But I had interviews lined up all day long, and Sophie was even texting me, like, should we, like, come and hang out in your room? And, like, and I was like, this is, like, ground zero right now I don't think you want to be here (laughs) oh my god yeah when we saw you later it was like you were definitely handling it but April and I I that we like we saw you and then um we saw your husband Ian and he was like kind of trying to protect you and fuss around you a little bit at the actual (laughs) premiere and April was like oh my god like Julie I thought Julie was a you but maybe she's more of a me because like this is also how April would respond I think if I got that much attention I'd be like oh my god like sorry I'm just like busy like it's just like fun I I don't know (laughs) and April would have the same thing as you which is like a tight smile just like like trying to get through it exactly like my jaw was started hurting like 30 minutes into it from like not fake smiling but from smiling is yeah. all smiling fake smiling is that an awful thing to say well no but you were in i mean you were like in a super beautiful dress your dress turned out amazing and you were yes. like you know you were there in both a professional and pictorial capacity it was like you had to be looked at a lot and being looked at a lot means you have to be constantly like you can't slouch you can't like relax your face for a second you know like it's a lot of pressure there there were a lot of people there who wanted a pcu so what is it like to be fat on a red carpet Weirdly, being in front of a thousand cameras and people screaming at you doesn't make all of your insecurities immediately go away Like, I feel like I've gotten, I've come a long way in my fat girl journey as far as, like, seeing pictures of myself that, like, aren't posed or just, like, when I'm totally unaware. But, like, I literally, you, like, hop out of a car and they put you on the red carpet and they just start taking pictures of you. There's no moment to be, like, um, is my waistband around my boobs? Like, what, (laughs) like, there's no moment to, like, think and breathe. And so that was, like... Like, I, I don't know. I'm so, like, especially when I go to events, I'm so used to people posting awful pictures of me just, like, staring into space while I'm trying <laughs> to think of something meaningful to say. But when I, I was, like, still, like, kind of bracing myself for, like, oh, God, I'm going to have to look at these pictures of myself on the red carpet. And it was so dumb because that's, it's one of, like, the biggest accomplishments of my life. I should be so excited and pumped. But instead, part of me was, like, there might be awful pictures of me on the Internet in a really oh pretty God. dress. That's that's okay. I think that's relatable. That red carpet was really wild. We got there a little bit after you, and we got there just in time to see Dolly Parton come onto the red carpet. And it was like, I know, it was crazy because she just got out of the car there, and we were both like, oh, oh my God, there she is, there she is. And like, you know, but trying to be cool because we were waiting to also go on the red carpet. But like, uh, it was wild to see her and Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox go on the red carpet and just be like, the way that the photographers like scream at them and just the photos, it was like so overwhelming. And like 
not polite, I will say. <laughs> like, no. very stressful. They're, like, screaming at these tiny women. I was like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> like, Dolly over here. Dolly over here. Yeah. Like, when I went down the red carpet, I was coming in a car with my husband and my mother. And when we got out of the car, my mom was like, uh, e, uh, uh where do I go? Um, and my husband was, like, equally, like, unsure. So we were, like, walking down the red carpet, and someone screamed at my mom to get out of the way. And like something inside of me just like turned on, and I was like, "That's my mother!" <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, get her in the picture! Get her in the picture!" And I was like, "Correct response!" Oh my god! Yeah, that was we had like the opposite. I mean, we had we had your mom's experience on the red carpet, which is that lady tried to very nicely hold a card with our names on it, and every like they they looked up. One person took an iPhone photo for us, and then we kept going. <laughs> like no one was interested in us. It was very funny um well we'll see what happens at the next premiere who knows hell yeah okay now on to asking julie some of the questions that many people ask for her to answer about dumplin the movie authors don't have the power to make decisions about movies just fyi but julie did get to watch the process happen what was your what was it like before the premiere? Let's rewind like several months to a year. What was the movie making experience like for you with like a, having your book turned into a movie? Disney was originally the company that bought Dumplin like three and a half years ago. And I guess this was around the time that like Beauty and the Beast and Maleficent and all those movies were coming out and finding lots of success. And so they decided they were going to go ahead and move forward with, like, all their live-action stuff, which we're now seeing with, like, a blue Will Smith and Aladdin. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So, anyways, they came and told us rather early on that they weren't going to be moving forward. And that was a really crappy phone call to get. But... Like, the immediate next phone call was from my, like, film agent and everyone that they had hired to work on the project. So the screenwriter, one of the producers they'd brought on, and they said, I know that this was a really sucky day, but we're still moving forward with this, and Jennifer Aniston wants to be involved in the product, or in the project. Um, And so that was the like really like the taking off point for us where we knew that this could actually be something that we could get financing for because we had you know a big name assigned to it so from there on we just kind of operated as an independent film I think that like the thing that finally sealed the deal and the thing that I finally it finally made me feel like this was real was when we found out Dolly Parton was going to be involved Because we just knew it couldn't happen. There was just no way. And so I that was, like, the one question people kept asking me when I would, like, travel around the country doing signings and things like that. Is like, have do you know if Dolly Parton knows about this book? Have you... Do you have any idea if, like, she would ever be involved in a movie? And it was, like, that was the big fat question mark. Like, we were just waiting and waiting. What was it like uh, when you were on set and, like, seeing your book brought to life on, like, being acted out? Like, did it match up with the movie in your head that you when you wrote it? Or, like, what did that feel like? 
So I'm a former librarian, and I feel like my way of engaging with the world is to, like, go out and gather information and then come back and, like, analyze the information, think about it, and then decide how I feel about it. So when I visited SET, it was really, like, I felt like Mars Rover, like, out there just, like, gathering information on the set of Dumplin', and then I had to, like, go back and decide how I felt about it because it was just too much to even fathom while I was on set, and especially because they wanted me to be to do, like, that um, cameo scene and I've just I was very resistant to it and only decided to do it at the last minute when they were like okay you can like you can wear your own clothes you can do whatever you want just sit here in this bar because that sucks like I like I was like I was like I'm a fat lady and I don't think you guys have anything in wardrobe for me they're like oh it's okay we've got tons of stuff and I was like no you've had tons of stuff for like tiny fat people on set like you don't have clothes for me on set I can guarantee it remember as a child I was absolutely wild about some red shoes that my Aunt Lucy wore So all of those things combined with, like, the fact that you're seeing, like, characters that you created brought to life, and then you're having to decide if you like the way that they were brought to life and if you're happy with it. It was one of the weirdest, most overwhelming, exhausting things I've ever done, but it was so cool. Like, there were all these different moments of, like, realization as I was watching this play out on set that were important to me. Like, I like the scene being filmed where, like, uh, Danny, who plays Willa Dean, and then Jen, her mom, are getting in this huge fight outside the school. What is wrong with you? Me? It's your fault. My fault? I was just defending myself against a bully who was calling me that hideous nickname you've been calling me my whole life. He deserved it. Have a lovely day, Miss Dixon. Well, you too, Miss Hall. Listen to me, young lady. Why are you getting all sensitive about a silly little nickname? And it was, like, such a real, authentic thing for me. Like, I have... If, like, I've had that fight with plenty of adults in my life, and I've seen so many fat people I know have that fight with people in their life. And that was a moment for me where I was like, I've seen things like this play out on screen before, but for the first time, I feel like the ball's in our court. You know, for the first time, I feel like this is our narrative, not someone else's narrative about us. So that was really, really exciting and meaningful for me. I've traveled, many times they've come unraveled on the road. Okay, thank you, Julie, for all that exciting moving picture talk. Now, let's talk about books, books, books. After the break, we wanted to know what Julie's next book is about. Sounds intriguing, hmm? We'll also get into our fat friendship, being queer and fat, facing criticism online, and some writing advice. Caden Voss has two collections, their signatures and their classics, coming early this summer. Everything in their signature products is 100% made in the USA, from farm to fashion. And those products are legit luxe. The classics collection will come in the same styles, but made with more affordable fabric and imported to help make their sweet looks more accessible. For fashion to be accessible to fat people, it needs to be in fat sizes and it needs to be affordable. And with Caden Voss, you can get both. This season, we're proud to offer 25% off your order with code SAF. Head over to kadevoss.com, K-A-D-E-V-O-S.com, and use code SAF. Today's episode of She's All Fat is brought to you by Rose Marino Candles, a one-woman operation from the beautiful mind of Rachel Whitcomb. Rose Marino Candles never disappoint. 
Rachel uses a specially formulated blend of soy waxes, which creates super long-lasting candles. I just reordered my favorite, the black tea candle with a wooden wick, and I'm thinking about trying her new subscription service, which is a candle of the month club with subscriber-exclusive scents. I know April loves the fancy shampoo candle, and we both fought over the succulent candle. Rosemarino has a bunch of other strong and elegant scents in a variety of sizes. They're never too overpowering or too sweet, they're just right. There's no plastic in any of the products and all packaging is either reused, made from post-consumer waste, 100% recyclable, or biodegradable. Rose Marino's spring line is hitting the internet shelves April 1st, so be sure to follow along so you don't miss out. She's All Fat listeners can get 20% off and free shipping on their first order by entering code SAF at checkout. Just head to rosemarinocandles.com, fill your cart, and enter SAF at checkout. That's R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-O candles.com. We got the glow in the mouth. Hey, your sentence is almost up, says Elle. I need to tell you something. Okay. I could chicken out now and tell her never mind. Or I could tell her about Bo and how some parts of me can't let him go. Even now when my head is full of so many other things. But instead, I say, I'm entering Clover City's Miss Teen Blue Bonnet pageant. The line is silent for a second. A second almost long enough for me to say, just kidding. Oh, hell yes! You don't think I'm crazy? Well, you're totally nuts, but this is going to be awesome. I often wonder what I'm doing here. My next book, Dear Sweet Pea, comes out on October 1st. And it's about a girl in seventh grade, like graduating into eighth grade, like the last few weeks of seventh grade. And her parents are in the midst of a divorce. And she's also dealing with like ex-best friend who she still has very like intense friend feelings for. And also her new current best friend who is trying to like navigate his own sexuality and figure out who he is and who he wants to be like as they go into the eighth grade. And as this is happening, uh, Sweet Pea begins to intercept her neighbor's letters, who uh, is the town advice columnist. And so Sweet Pea is sort of like tending to this woman's house while she's out of town, and she's supposed to be forwarding these letters on to her, but she starts sort of keeping a few aside when she starts to recognize someone's handwriting, and she decides to start answering some of those letters. So it was a lot of fun to write, and I feel like I wrote I wrote this book for a lot of the same reasons I wrote Dumplin', but it was the first time I got to really write something that was about a fat character and not necessarily about fatness. So there are moments where Sweet Pea has to, like, have, like, a self-reckoning with her body and, like, whether she's shopping for a dress for seventh grade graduation or doing all these different things that she has to do with her fatness in mind. Um, but there's there's not any anything big in the same way that there is in Dumplin', where it's, like, a whole pageant and you're a whole body is thrown into question so that was really exciting for me I'm excited to see how that works I feel like I don't even have an example of (laughs) 
happening really. So I'm pumped to see that happen. That's my, I mean, that's the dream, right? Is that there will be fat characters in books where it's not all about fatness. It's like at this point, it's still so revolutionary to have a book about fatness where it's not denigrated that, you know, I'm excited to see how this goes. Cause like, you know, as we've talked about before, the YA books that had fatness in it that April and I read were both like, is like blubber, you know, and that kind right. of thing, which is like <laughs> wild. Do you feel like you had to write Dumplin' and like other things where fatness was more centered in order to feel like you could get to this part? Oh, totally. Like, I, I felt like I had to do that, like, in order to personally license myself to do it, in order to creatively license myself to do that. But also, I wrote Dumplin' almost, like, five years ago now. And so I was a totally different fat person than the fat person I am today. The fat person I was five years ago was so much younger in her journey with fat positivity and body positivity. And she... That... My fatness was so much centered in my everyday life at that point. And I was constantly thinking about it. I was constantly angry about the way that fat people were treated. And so I had to write a book like Dumplin' so that I could write other books with other fat characters. Um, Normally I write one book a year, and this year I'm writing three books, which is like a whole other... How? I don't know. How? I don't know. Ask me next year. I really don't know. (laughs) But all of them have fat characters, and only one of them is like, like very much about being fat. Um, so it's, it's been a really cool evolution to see happen in my career. And I always will, I I mean, I'll always be game to write a book about fatness because my feelings about fatness and about body positivity are constantly evolving. And even now there are things in Dumplin' that I look back and cringe at because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so much more enlightened now. But I don't think that I could have captured dumpling the way that I had if I hadn't written it when I did and of course there will always be things that I wish I could go back and change but at the same time like I don't I don't think I could ever recreate that initial anger I felt at realizing that the diet industry was bullshit and I'd been duped my whole life yeah I think that the one thing that I would really go back and rethink how I did was Aunt Lucy's death. Because I think for Willa Dean's character journey, Aunt Lucy's death always had to happen. But I think it's really easy to go back and look at that whole thing with an untrained eye and see it as a really fat phobic thing in the book. When in reality, what I was trying to say as like a baby fat revolutionist feminist was that it doesn't matter how a fat person dies because we don't know. We don't know if it's related to someone's weight. We don't know if a heart thing is related to the fact that fat people don't go to the doctor because doctors treat them like shit. We don't know. And I wish that I had gotten that across in the text a little more, with a little more nuance and with a little more um, thoughtfulness, I think. So I think that's one thing I would really go back and reconsider and re-examine. What else? Are, are there any other parts that when you look at them, you feel like, oh, this is an interesting time capsule of like myself five years ago as opposed to now. And like you would approach differently in future projects. I mean, it's just a little bit Bopo 101, but but like I think people who are watching it on Netflix will mostly need that. You know what I mean? Right. The stuff with, like, her best friend being like, well, don't judge me for being thin. I'm like, yeah, that's probably necessary in this movie because of all the thin girls who are going to watch this. Like, this is going to – the fact that that was included is, like, as narratively, is that, like, uh, advanced degree 
fat paws? No, but what it is going to do is make some thin girl a lot nicer to her teenage fat best friend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. And that was really like the the conversation we had around the movie from day one was we wanted people who had never been exposed to body positivity to see this and not feel like they were being lectured to or that they were being like exposed to like this like this liberal idea of body positivity and fat positivity we wanted to like approach them with a story that they could relate to their everyday lives and for also for the concepts in the movie to feel very like attainable and things that they could really understand and apply to the people in their lives and their circumstances yeah i think it nails that uh one of the things that seemed really revolutionary to me about the movie is having two fat characters who are likable like two fat teen characters because i really relate to millie i am definitely much more of a millie than a willow dean for sure i related so hard to millie like millie being on stage doing her weird ass like hula hoop singing thing i was like oh my god that's me auditioning for talent (laughs) show oh my god Just, like, Millie being extra. Millie also, like, has a couple more revolutionary moments, I think, where she really pushes Willow Dean to, like, when Willow Dean kind of has these fears and concerns about, you know, she feels like, uh, which I also went through, she feels like because she's different, she has to be totally against mainstream shit. And Millie is, like, Millie has a lot of little lovely moments where she's, like, well, I like this stuff, too. Like, yeah. I'm allowed to like this stuff. And I think totally. that's, like, that to me was very subtle and, like, lovely. I loved those moments. I, I originally wrote Millie because Millie, growing up for me, was the type of fat person that terrified me. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's a lot more... It's a lot more simple to be the cynical fat person than it is to be the person like Millie who's going to embrace the shit they love and just deal with the consequences as they come. And Yeah, Millie's really brave. Yeah, I so I think that the way that they framed the Millie Willow Dean relationship in the movie like especially highlights that. And I at the end of the day like that was one of my biggest fears was that Millie would somehow get cut from the movie because having more than one fat person on screen is asking for a lot. So I was really really pleased to see that that whole relationship was really heightened and the volume was turned up to like 10 on it. I mean, there were other things we had to let go of, which sucked, but I was really excited about that. I loved it. And I love that actress. She was so cute. Her voice was incredible. Maddie. Oh my gosh. And that's the other thing is her, like her in real life name is Maddie. And so I always get confused calling her like Maddie, Millie, Maddie, Millie. But her voice is like, I so she did hairspray live and her voice is just incredible. I did a signing with her and I made her sing to the entire audience. Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> I know. Amazing. <laughs> well, so okay, when you were writing Dumplin, you were very angry and like trying to pr- put points across. What do you feel like now now that you're writing a book that's more like there's just a fat character and it's she's fat and like has it has fat positive politics under lying it but it feels a little about other things like how what do you think are the things that have changed in you and like what what do you feel like 
like you were saying, you feel more advanced in your fat politics. What do you feel like is that advancement? Well, I feel like when I wrote Dumplin', I had this idea that like fat positivity was like this cure-all elixir that I could just drink. And like I, I totally, I do buy into the fake it until you make it like theory that we some or like the the line that we sometimes feed ourselves because I think that that will get you so far and I think that it will get you to a really important place but at the end of the day you still have to face the fact that like this is an everyday battle and it's not a failure when you wake up one day and you feel like shit or you wake up one day and you just wish that your body was something else than what it is so I think that that has changed for me in a really big way because every day when I sat down to write Dumplin', and it sometimes put into, I, it was like a reckoning with my body. Like I was going through everything that Willa Dean was going through, and I was feeling these things on a very real level. Even if these were things that I felt like I had already dealt with in some way in my fat positivity, like in my own fat positive journey. But I still felt like as I was writing this, like everything felt so fresh and so new. But I think that as I'm writing more books with more fat characters I'm giving myself permission for this to be like for my fatness to be something that can take the back burner where I can like still I can still be dealing with this and I can still find this thing that is sometimes I find that I'm really empowered by sometimes I find that I'm really enraged by but I can still navigate my world and spin all these plates at the same time I don't have to be like simply defined as my fatness and a fat author and this is my life as a fat person all the time yeah I went through that too. I think it was also <laughs> like I have a bunch of memories of me just talk, being like going on and on and on about how unfair it feels and how many doctors I've been to that are bad and like just kind of saying r- ranting about it to Lindsay, who's my best friend, who is like tall and thin, and her just sitting on the couch like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Oh, that's so bad. Just like nodding, <laughs> just being like, "Oh my god, yeah, you're right." <laughs> like, she was so supportive when I just needed to like just feel it. Just get you know. Yeah. There it felt like so much. There's just like a huge tidal wave of anger that comes when you when you see through the curtain. I feel like you know, and you're like, "Oh my god, I yeah. can't believe this." Like, I cannot believe that this is what is happening to me and to people like me. And it just takes a while to like, like I just, some people enjoy kind of burning all the time and I can't exist in that space all the time, especially because I don't think we're going to be like dismantling oppression towards fat people, like in the next, you know, two right. minutes or whatever. <laughs> um, and so I much more lately have been about I feel like I've been about like trying to find community with other fat people and trying to like move on that. Is Ian there? Is Ian saying hi? Ian was there and Ian was saying hi. Okay, let's move on to some more fat chat with our brilliant friend, Julie Murphy. Our friendship has been very special to me, not only because I like admired you before we like talked and like looked up to you and liked your books, but like because I grew up in very privileged spaces where most people were constantly like working on their weight, quote unquote, you know, Mm -hmm. or like had personal trainers. And like, now that I'm an adult, I have a couple fat friends, like obviously April is extremely important to me. My friend Alex, who was on last season is extremely important to me. Um, I have a couple other fat friends, but like 
really like online has been the place where I feel like I've met the most other people who are in the same place I am with like wanting to do creative work in fat liberation spaces and think about it and talk about it. And it's just been very special for me. Like I was floored when you were like, Oh my God, I love your podcast. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You listen? What? I mean, having recognition from other fat writers and activists and, and creators is like, has been so, so meaningful to me through this. And like, I'm just excited that we're friends. Is that nerdy to say? No, it's not nerdy at all. I'm so, I'm so pumped that we're friends. I also (laughs) felt like a little bit of like a traitor or like a hypocrite because I never had a lot of fat friends. And even as like I was going through like my angry early stages of body positivity and fat positivity, I was like, this is internalized fat phobia. You've been like, you've been lied to for all these years. Look at all these fat people you've missed out on. (laughs) And it's true. It's true on one hand. But also, like, I wasn't I wasn't in spaces where I was finding fat people who uh, would uh, like feed me. You know what I mean? Like, I like, I think that yeah, because like, in some in some spaces, making friends with other fat people can feel dangerous because sometimes yeah. fat people are the ones with the most internalized fat phobia, and so I'm always like a little bit tentative. You know, I, it's something that like I. Like, especially the, like, the very few handful of fat people that I've met in publishing, like, it's something that we've bonded over so quickly. Like, even going to a book festival and being like, oh my gosh, they have the worst folding chairs. Oh my gosh. We, you know, they, they've they got us set up in, like, these tiny little auditorium seats. Like, all these different things that, like, fat people think about just because they have to exist every day. <laughs> that, yeah. you know, all of our other fat author friends are not thinking about. Totally. Do you have any pithy writing advice for people that you go to when people ask you about it? I do. I have three bits of writing advice, actually. My first bit of writing advice is that you should treat writing like a job. It sucks really hard, but you should. Um, So whether that means that you're spending 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a week, whatever it is, like decide what amount of time you can dedicate to writing and just treat it like a job because no one is going to treat you like you should be paid for writing until you start acting like you should be paid for writing it's a lot of that more like more of that like fake it till you make it advice but sometimes it works and sometimes it's what you need um my other free piece of writing advice is you can go and take whatever writing classes you want you can go and get a master's whatever you want to do but at the end of the day like all everything you need to know is in all of your favorite books i don't know just the more books you read the easier it is to write one i promise um, the, uh, my other piece of writing advice is that writing advice is kind of bullshit <laughs> and that you should just do whatever works for you because like more so than in any other career, it doesn't matter what your process looks like. It only matters what the finished product looks like. So if your process looks like you laying face down on the carpet with like a fan buzzing above you, that's fine. <laughs> if your process looks like, you know, you sitting on the couch with six cats sitting on top of you, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Your process could be super, super organized on a nice like whiteboard. That is not my process. But if that's your process, I'm really impressed by you. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, thank you so much for talking with me. I feel like everyone's going to be really excited to hear what you have to say. We didn't even get into like a million other things we could have talked about. 
like how beautiful your dress was the night of the premiere. You were like oh. a glittering angel. <laughs> um, what? It's like a, there's just a million things we could talk about. I know. And so I just we'll have, to, have come to, back. to. Yeah, we'll have to have you back on the pod. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, remind our listeners how they can follow you and your career. Thank you for having me, Sophie. Um, all listeners out there, the family that I am gladly a part of, you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram at and I'm Julie. Um, I'm on Twitter sometimes, like if there's an award show to live tweet or yell about sometimes. <laughs> and I'm also and I'm Julie there. Basically, you can find me anywhere on the internet at and I'm Julie. Or you can go to my website and actually, if you send me snail mail, I respond to all kind. I respond to snail mail always. So, really? That's I think that's the funnest way to get in touch with me is to send me a letter because I'll write you one back. It might take me like six months, but I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I love that. That is so sweet. Okay. Everyone go send Julie little thank you letters for being on the show. Love you, Julie. Love you. So bye. Bye. Thank you, Julie. We love you. Thank you for being part of the family. So during the break, I got a lot of interesting tips from people. Um, We're not going to put all of them in this episode. We'll be like spacing them out. But I really love learning about what the family is up to and the stuff that y'all make and are creative about. And so many of you have amazing projects that I love to shout out here. So I'm going to do that. Um, This is an email from someone who I met because they follow me on Instagram and I started chatting with them and they have these amazing projects and I think the family would like to hear about them and I'm the one here talking. So now you're going to hear about it. Okay. Here's that email. My name is Jordan Bailey at jbales1. My roommate and I started our podcast, Black Girl Book Club, in early 2017. We'd choose a book to read each month and use those books as a framework to talk about our own lives as young black women. 
We mostly read nonfiction, personal essay type works by black women and discussed how we related to the author and themes presented in the book. We're not actively working on this project anymore, but would love for your listeners to explore our back catalog of episodes. Two of my favorites are our We Should All Be Feminist discussion and an interview we did with a black mindfulness and meditation coach. Um, We've linked those episodes below. I'm also a co-founder and co-editor of another women of color focused project called Undertone. The five of us who started it are all women of color from different backgrounds who really value media, art, and storytelling that centers women of color. Together, we produce a submissions-based art mag, Undertone Mag. We choose a theme, solicit art around that theme, and then edit, design, and print the mag to sell in bookstores and art book fairs across the country. We'll be looking for submissions for our third issue in early 2019, around March, and would love to get some submissions from SAF listeners. You can read more about issues one and two on the website. So... Um, obviously Jordan seems amazing. These are such cool projects and, um, I just really like being able to spotlight people who are also doing like creative things. I think a lot of times creative projects are like not always paid attention to unless you're like monetizing them or like if they blow up or whatever. And I just find a lot of value in like personal creative projects. These aren't, these are obviously not personal actually. They're like, it's a public podcast and like a magazine, but like just because something is not, you know, featured in Forbes or something doesn't mean that it's not super valuable and super important. And I'm really excited to know about Jordan now and be able to follow her work. Okay. Next call for submissions. Do you identify as a fat person with a disability or a disabled fat person or someone with a disability who's interested in fat justice, any kind of intersections of the above? Um, send us a voice memo about your experience. We're doing an episode about disability and disability justice and how it intersects with that stuff. And, um, I would love to talk to you. Um, as a reminder, if you join team Paisley Moo Moo on our Patreon, you get to join our secret special closed Facebook group. Um, this week in the Facebook group, people are talking about belts. (laughs) They're talking about companies that we wish would come in bigger sizes, all of them. And just general outfit posts. We did a, we did a, what are you wearing today post? And that was very fun. Um, and again, if you join our Patreon at team, I love bread, then you get a mini sewed every week. That's like an extended Q and a ask a fatty with whoever is doing the ask a fatty that week. So this week that's Julie Murphy. All of our team. I love bread is getting a whole extra mini sewed. Now let's move on to ask a fatty with Julie Murphy. And now it's time to ask a fatty. If you want advice, you can send a voice memo of yourself asking a question to FYI at she's You can record it on your computer or the voice memo app on your iPhone. Just keep it short about one minute max. Or if you're shy, you can send us a plain old email at FYI at she's And we might answer your question right here on the show. This week, we're doing a very special Ask a Fatty with this week's special guest, Julie Murphy. Thank you for being here again with us, Julie Murphy. So we got a lot of questions. People were very interested in being able to ask you questions. And this is like cool because I feel like there's a ton of interviews with you out there, but there's none that are super centered around like 
more than 101 fat activism stuff. So I'm pumped about this. Um, so we're going to reinforce this at the end of this, but just so you guys know, if you're interested in hearing more of this Q and a with Julie and more clips from this episode, you can become a Patreon. There'll be some clips in the main Patreon feed and a whole extra mini sode, um, for team. I love bread of questions with me and Julie. So here in ask a fatty, let's go. Um, one fat Millie member asks, should then authors have help writing fat characters? Um, I want you to like insert an image of me into your head at this moment, like rubbing my hands together. Like, oh yeah, I've been <laughs> waiting for someone to ask me this question. So my theory on this is yes, always yes. Like if you don't, if, if you're a thin author who for some reason feels as though you need to write a fat character, especially if that fat character is your main character. I truly hope that there are fat people in your life who you love and hold near to you and dear to you. Um, And I hope that they're also very patient with you and willing to answer lots of questions for you. The other part to that answer is that should authors have, should authors be writing or should the authors be writing fat characters at all? That's something we've been talking a lot about, especially like in the YA world, like should you be writing X character if you're not from this marginalization at all, especially if that character is your main character. And I think that it comes down to whether or not the story that you're writing is an identity story. So if you, the story you're writing is a, a story about a fat character grappling with their fatness and you're a thin author, I think you should really rethink if that's your space and if that's something that you should consider doing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the case with a lot of identities and like marginalized experiences in general. I think it's very Mm -hmm. easy for anyone who's not a SIDS white man to write a SIDS white man. (laughs) It's like (laughs) we have that perspective forced on us like 24 seven, but anyone that's further below you in some way in the intersectional marginalization train, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's kind of insulting to assume you can be in their head, but I just think that applies to main characters. Like, I think Mm -hmm. if you want to flesh out your world, that's very easy to do because if you're a white person, you very much should have people of color as friends and you can write characters who are like your friends. I just think it's weird to make it your main character and act like you have access to their interiority and their experiences when those are rooted in marginalizations you don't experience. You know what I mean? I think there's a very clear difference between being like, my main character is more like me and she has like friends who are like my friends. You know, it's like, you never want to be a white person writing a book where you're like, you know, your main character is like a black woman in slavery. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) You know? I know. It sounds so clear and obvious, but people in publishing are still sorting this out. (laughs) Um. No, totally. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting because we're like, okay, let's tell more stories, but it's still really hard. I think for white people in particular to be like, oh, but I don't get to tell those stories. Right. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not have your own thing to tell? And I mean, sometimes there's no, uh, there's no right way to answer a question. Cause like with Puddin, there are two narrators and the question was, do I make both these narrators white or do I make one of these narrators non-white? And yeah. if so, how do I do that in a respectful way? Um, I think that, gosh, it was so... I, I really, really had to like phone a friend on that decision because I wanted to do it right. Anyways, I I really thought long and hard about that because there was no right answer there. It was either I had two white narrators and like 
two completely white perspectives, or I wrote this half Mexican character and I did it to the best of my ability with the potential for getting it wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. No, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to navigate, but I think like the key for me is just thinking like, am I co-opting experiences I would never have? Right. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what has been the biggest change for you after the success of Dumplin'? Are you just like <laughs> living high now? Are you just rolling in diamonds? <laughs> I, um, yeah, always. I'm, I'm rolling in tons of diamonds. I I'm, think the beginning of this call was probably the biggest, not even a change, because I'm sure this was happening before, but you were just like, I have hundreds of emails I have to respond yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, that's really like, more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. Um, except it, it's publishing money, so it's not even like, when people, people <laughs> like look some at me, some money, like, more problems. Yeah, if people are like, you must be so rich right now. I'm like, you've never met anyone that's worked in publishing before (laughs) or anyone that has had to like like sort out their own finances and been contract labor or freelance um because it's it's a wild ride uh I think really I've just I'm busier and more people want to talk to me but they also want to talk to me about the same things over and over again um and like so Sophie and I were talking earlier and this is really refreshing because I can talk a little bit more like as a fat person to fat people without constantly having to explain myself and like this is what body positivity is oh my god this is what body positivity is this is what fat positivity is this is these are the differences between those two things and um yeah more more people want to talk to me is really the biggest change in my life and I've become more of a recluse and really good at saying no to things that's important it's yeah, important yeah. to do um thank you julie for being on ask a fatty you were a great sub for april for this episode um a different (laughs) it's not it's not a comparison it's it's a different dish it's not you know it's not like you're being her it's like you're complimenting her in the of in general of she's all fat i'll take it i'll take what i can (laughs) whatever april magic i can thank you for being here julie and thank you for giving your wisdom to the fat millie we love you Thank you, Soph. Thank you, family. Thank you. I love you guys. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Khan, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she'sallfatpod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Bertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. This episode was originally edited and co-produced by the lovely, amazing Maria Wortel. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.